Can you believe this is the fifth week of this incredible series, Explore God? Uh, let me begin by just saying a word of thanks to those of you who may be joining us for the very first time. And a huge shout out to those of you who may have walked with us throughout the course of this series. You may be watching from my San Jose campus or from various uh, online platforms. Hey, it is just a blessing to have you guys connected with us. Thank you so very much for joining us. Let me just say today, uh, if you've missed any of the other uh, messages that we have taught as we deal with life's big questions, is there God, does life have purpose, et cetera, et cetera, please go to our website and, and access those messages and share them with your family and with your friends. Today, the big question that we're going to wrestle with is simply this, is Christianity too narrow? Let me just go ahead and also uh, suggest that next week we're going to combine the last two questions uh, and raise this. Is the Bible reliable and can I know God personally? All right. Uh, today is Christianity too narrow. Let me pray. God, I ask that you'd pour your spirit out and bless this teaching in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Let's look at our passage. John uh, chapter 14, verse six. Jesus is speaking and here's what he says. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me begin by just pointing out uh, what I've said before. There's about 175 churches uh, who, are, who are doing this series together all across the Bay Area, across race, ethnicity, denominations, et cetera, et cetera. A number of us are really good friends and colleagues, and we're sharing notes and going back and forth. We've got a a, a foul system that is set up where we're listening to each other's messages and looking at manuscripts, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I point that out today because Pastor John Ortberg, who I mentioned last week in last week's message, uh, taught this very message, I don't know, about three or four weeks ago. Then my good friend, Pastor Renee Sleffler, uh, uh, reappropriated, as he shared with his congregation a few weeks ago, reappropriated lots of, of what John taught. Uh, and retorted it to Twin Lakes. And today I'm going to re reappropriate <laughs> what those two taught, uh, but I'm going to do it uh, inside of, you know, the way uh, uh, Pastor Herman does it here at NBCC. So, but lots of this material has uh, uh, been provided and resourced by those two incredible teachers. So I just want us to all be mindful that we're all engaging with exclusive elements and claims in all of our different postures. Now, having said that, here's the basic question. Is Christianity too narrow? So in order to answer that question, let's go to Jesus. Because here's my argument. At the end of the day, while Christianity is a form of religion, it, at its best, it points us to Jesus. And far more than, than religion, it should point us to a relationship with the living Jesus. Jesus did not come and say, essentially, uh, uh, I offer to you more religion. No. He said, uh, essentially, I offer to you life and that more abundantly. So let's look at four truths that Jesus taught, both in terms of his teaching and how he modeled. Let's begin with the claims of Jesus, which is what I just read. Jesus said these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Now, if you missed last week's message, that was all about the question whether or not Jesus is God. You just need to know in order to understand this particular very exclusive insightful passage is that Jesus is speaking in the context of being God. The Gospel of John chapter 1 begins with these words written by John who was with Jesus for three years as a disciple, was at the foot of his cross, was one of the first to see an empty tomb, experienced Jesus on the other side of resurrection repeatedly. He, he writes this in his reflection about, his, about Jesus, uh, that he was, that's what John begins these words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He's talking about Jesus. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that is made, and in him is life. And so Jesus is proclaiming here in the context of God, I am the source of all life, which means I am the source of all truth, which means that if you want a journey, if you will, to the, to the deepest meaning of life, you've got to come through me. Jesus is speaking as God. Now, there are folk who say, you know, there are a lot of different ways to get to God. Well, here's my response. Whatever way gets to God has to end at the feet of Jesus. Because if Jesus is God, you cannot engage God by getting around him. This is what he says. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus makes this claim as God who's with us. All right. Now, here's two wonderful things about the God that we find in Jesus that's pretty unique in our faith. The first is that in most other religions, we have to go look for God. In Jesus, God comes looking for you, and he comes looking for me. That's pretty amazing. And he's searching for all of us as we think about is religion too narrow, too exclusive. The second thing is in other religions, we're called to make sacrifices in order to please God, right? In order to benefit from God. Christianity is the only religion on the planet where God shows up in his son Jesus and makes the ultimate sacrifice for all of us. For you and for me, he gives his life to save and to redeem you and me. He dies in the place of all of us, paying an atoning price to set us free. And then he conquers death through his resurrection for you, whoever you are, and for me. Look at what John 3.16 says. It's pretty fascinating, Right? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would put their trust and faith in him do not have to worry about perishing, but have eternal life. Can you say grace? This is ultimately an expression of grace. Notice what Paul writes in Ephesians 2.8. Here's what Paul writes. God saved you, talking to Jesus' followers. By his grace, that's unmerited favor. How? By what you did, what you accomplished? No. He saved you when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Isn't that awesome? Now, for some of us, it is so super challenging, if you will, to receive a huge free gift. 
uh, Pastor Jesse Cottenham, who is the campus pastor at Ridwood City, uh, our campus in Ridwood City, went to uh, Maui uh, a week ago, and he delivered on behalf of NBCC a check of $40,000 to help with their continued rebuilding efforts. So let me just say thank you to all of you because you guys contributed to that tremendous blessing. But in addition to that, he and his wife, Pally, purchased a number of, uh, of, uh, of gift cards. And they just handed them out indiscriminately to people who were in need and struggling. And Pastor Jesse said there was a number of people who said, no, 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 I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't need to take it. I don't need that. And, 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 and they were needing places to live and food to secure. But they felt like their pride wouldn't allow them to take it. And Pastor Jesse said, oh, no. He told them, no, 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 you're going to take this card. <laughs> this is for Jesus, all right? <laughs> but, you know, when we think about receiving an extraordinary gift of salvation from Jesus, you know, a lot of the time it's our pride that makes it so improbable, keeps us from saying yes. And then notice the text says, uh, Paul says, you know, we can't take credit for it. Well, that's the other thing that often stands in the way of us receiving this free gift from Jesus because oftentimes we like to be able to boast, boast, look what I achieved. But when it comes to salvation, you and I, we don't get the boast. It's a free gift. You know, my friend Pastor Renee talks about kind of four different ways of thinking about, if you will, just kind of, and, it's an, and he admits it's an oversimplification, but it's a good way for us to think this through in terms of how different religious families approach this notion of salvation, right? So uh, there's one group that he simply uses the word addition. Can you say addition? In other words, that their, their, their movement towards salvation is all about do more good stuff. More rituals, more pilgrimages, more good deeds. There's another family that's kind of best described by subtraction. Do less bad stuff, less bad habits. Perhaps you become a monk. Or maybe you become like a friend of mine many, many years ago. He just removed himself from the public altogether in an effort and attempt to remove himself from all desire and attachment. Subtraction. Another one is simply knowledge. Learn more deep stuff. You know, figure out how to become the enlightened one or how to perceive beyond illusions or learn and memorize more biblical scriptures, etc. Right? This notion of more deeper stuff. The problem with all of this is what Tim Keller points out. He calls it the inequity of ability. Not everybody has the same willpower. Not everybody has the same brain power. Not everybody has the same financial capacity to take pilgrimage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There is only one approach that is fully inclusive. Come on now. And it is the grace approach. It is the most inclusive approach out of all. And it is simply what I just talked about, that we're called to receive God's free gift of salvation comes to us through the one who says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And what I have for you is a free gift. Here's what uh, the late pastor Tim Keller uh, says about this notion. He says this, a salvation earned by good works and moral effort would favor the more able, the competent, the accomplished, the privileged. But a salvation by sheer grace, well, 
It favors the fail, the outsiders, the weak, because it goes only to those who know salvation must be by sheer grace. And so I would argue that grace is the most inclusive of all the ways as we wrestle with, is Christianity too narrow? The second truth uh, that Jesus teaches us is really revealed in what I call the paradox of Jesus. Listen to what uh, Matthew writes in Matthew chapter 7. Here's what he says. Uh, Matthew is recording the words of Jesus. Here's what Jesus says. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. This is Jesus' teaching. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find now, let's just think about this passage. Can you say narrow? Narrow. More often than not, when we hear the word narrow, when we think about the word narrow, we even read it in this text, we get, we get kind of thrown off because we think about, we, we equate narrow with narrow-mindedness. And, and with narrow-mindedness comes bigotry and intolerance and all the other kinds of things that we kind of associate with narrow-mindedness. And I might argue that conservatives can be narrow-minded and liberals can be narrow-minded, right? Say, say narrow-mindedness. Yes. But the, uh, our, the, uh, the rap uh, star propaganda, if you guys are doing the uh, small group discussion group, you'll notice that uh, the discussion group for this particular lesson, Propaganda, raises what I think is a wonderful question. He says, what if narrow is not simply defined as negative? What if narrow is defined as positive? For example, when we think about marriage, narrow means faithfulness. What if Jesus is saying in this passage, enter through the, 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 the gate of faithfulness? When we think about being sick, narrow is defined as the right diagnosis with the right prescription. You don't want it to be all over the place. No, no, no. The right diagnosis with the knife. It, could it be that Jesus is saying, uh, enter through the gate through which you will find the right diagnosis for what's going on in your inner world? Hmm. Narrow. Ultimately, Jesus is saying, enter through the gate through which you find, watch it, Jesus. Narrow being seen in a positive sense. So Jesus teaches the narrow way. But notice the paradox, just so that you don't get off track. Notice how Jesus lived. Matthew, who gives us Matthew chapter 7, also describes Jesus. Now, Matthew was a tax collector, really. You know, tax collectors was hated in Jesus' day, uh, primarily because they overtaxed people, drove them into debtor's prison. They were horrible, horrible folk. Matthew was one of them. But when he decided to follow Jesus, notice what, I love this, chapter 9, verse 10 through 11 says about this one who says, watch this, enter through the narrow gate <laughs> because 
uh, I want to distinguish that. He says from the broad way. Notice, notice, notice what happened. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his own home as dinner guests. And along with many, here they are, tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw what was going on, who was in the house, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Now, when we read this text, we immediately judge, come on now, the Pharisees for having the audacity to call the people who were in the room scums. But you have to really get what I want to call a contemporary sense of the folk who were in the room. Come on. I invite you to use your imagination because the folk in that room, listen, they, these were people who were heartbreakers. These were people who turned other people's lives upside down. These were people who were the source of other folk pain. So if you might use your contemporary imagination, let me just suggest if we thought about the room in today's term, uh, then the person who stole your electronic identity and then use that information to drain your bank account of all your money there in that room sitting with Jesus. The executive who orchestrated, come on now, uh, the details of the banking system so that based on a technicality, the bank doesn't have to pay back the money, come on, that was illegitimately and illegally stolen. Well, that executive is in that room. Come on. The, 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 the person who slept with your significant other while posing to be your best friend, that's the person is in that room with Jesus, y'all. Come on. The addict, come on, who broke into mama's house, stole all mama's jewelry, sold it for, for 5% of what it's worth. That person is in the room with Jesus. Oh, heartbreakers and, and pain uh, drivers are in that room. The, the, the person that drives domestic violence in the house that you grew up, that person is in this room with Jesus. Now reread what the Pharisees say. They say, they ask the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such? Now, whoever you might define, you might not use this language, but really scum. Folk, you don't want to be around. You don't want to have anything to do with. You don't even want to hear their name. They're in the room with Jesus. But guess what? The Pharisees are in the room with Jesus too. You're in the room, and I'm in the room. And that room that is full of God's grace, come on now, that welcomes all of these people, come on, also is a room that is filled with God's grace that welcomes you and me with all of the brokenness that is inside of our own living as well. Wow. Is Christianity too narrow? Listen to what Luke 15, 2 says. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they found themselves, Mother, this man welcomes sinners. He even eats with them. Wow. Jesus said, towards the end of the chapter, he said, listen, it's not the, it's not the healthy that needs a physician. It's the sick. There's something about Jesus. Does he condone what all those people were doing in the room that I named? Absolutely not. 
Is he circumventing the consequences that comes with a lot of the bad behavior? Absolutely not. Is he forfeiting the right to be the ultimate arbiter of ultimate judgment? Absolutely not. But in that room, he's the source of grace. Come on now. And in that room, he has not only just unconditional love, he has a fully informed love. He, 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 he knows that the abuser in that room was once abused. He, 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 he sees the woundedness in that life. Come on now. And he knows that all of those folk who we might not want to talk to, don't like, at one point they were babies, y'all, innocent and precious and life in inflicted on them and the broken nature within them has put them in this position and Jesus says if you let me love you come on now I'm looking for you I've got a healing for you found in my grace and my unconditional and fully informed love oh is Christianity too narrow Here's how we define it. Jesus has a narrow teaching, but he has a wide welcome. Uh, let me say it this other way. This is what John Orberg says, I believe. He says that Jesus made claims that were staggeringly exclusive, but Jesus attracted crowds that were scandalously inclusive. Yeah. And then I sum it up, as I said a moment ago, Jesus has narrow teaching, but he has a wide You know, Christians, uh, as we have professed our faith over hundreds and hundreds of years, we've not always uh, reflected Jesus. But the Jesus followers who followed Jesus, especially during the first 200 years after his death and resurrection, when, when Christians uh, really uh, overtook the Roman Empire, etc., etc., the same paradox, this notion of a narrow teaching that they believed in the one God, who is found in the Savior Jesus, who died on Calvary's cross to save all. That, 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 that was this remarkable paradox in this narrow teaching in terms of how they live in comparison to the larger culture around them. You know, just your simple study of the Greco-Roman time will tell you that they were pluralistic and very tolerant of multiple religions, right? Uh, every man and every woman had their own God, and yet the culture was extraordinarily brutal. That there was a huge distance between the wealthy, who was seen as being valuable and the most valuable, and the poor, who was always invisible and treated as though they had no value. But these individuals who believed in the one true God, come on now, who lived and died in the Savior Jesus, narrow teaching, when it came to the poor, they elevated and cared for the poor, not just the Christian poor, but all of the poor. Acts, uh, 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 Acts uh, 3 tells us that they sold all that they had and used their wealth to care for all of the poor in and around Jerusalem. Rome had seen nothing like that in terms of the empire. Uh, that women who were often killed as babies because their parents were looking for uh, males, right, or were treated as property, uh, inequity in terms of that, all this inequity, they, they flocked to the early Christian community. Why? Because they found a place of more equity than any other place in the Roman Greco world. 
For example, it is Paul who writes to the Christian men. Men, uh, don't be treating your women, your wives like property. Love your wives like Christ loved the church. Come on now. And gave his life up. Her. Can you imagine what he's saying to them is elevate the personhood and the value of the women in your life. That's what the early church taught. Wow. In those Christian communities, there were mixed people of different races and different classes. And to the Roman Empire, it seemed scandalous. But it was a wide welcome shaped by narrow teaching. Yes. Don't you remember Paul wrote that in Christ Jesus, there's no Jew nor Gentile. In Christ Jesus, there's no male or female. In Christ Jesus, there's no slave or free. That we're all standing on equal ground at the foot of Jesus's cross. Now I ask you again, is Christianity too narrow? The third is what Jesus teaches us by way of the challenge, the challenge of Jesus, particularly in today's cultural context. And and as I read this text, I want you to reflect back on the narrow way versus the wide way. Listen to, to what Jesus teaches. And here's his challenge to us. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. May not contemporize it. If you love only those who share the same political party as you, why do you get credit for that? If you love only those who believe like you believe about faith and God and Jesus, why should you get credit for it? He's not talking to the secular people. Jesus is talking only to Jesus' followers. Only Jesus' followers are, are, are is he are requiring, come on now, to, to have the same unconditional, informed heart that he has. Wow. Now, with that in mind, Listen, the Bono Group some time ago did a survey. I should say recently. And here's what the survey revealed. Most Americans indicate that they would find it difficult to have a neutral and normal conversation with a member of a group different than them. Most Americans. Can you say, wow? Have a neutral, responsible, reasonable conversation with someone who is other than them. Here's something else they discovered. The single group that has the hardest time having natural and normal conversations with minority groups is, are you ready for it? Evangelical Christians. That's a wow moment, isn't it? Here's what it goes on to say. 28% of evangelicals, now check this out. This is, I find this to be a trip. Say they would have a hard time having a normal conversation with other evangelicals who disagree with them politically. Now, as we think about the broad versus the narrow way, listen to what Jesus teaches. Listen to the challenge of Jesus. Come on, love your enemies. Do good to them. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. That is the challenge 
my goodness. Jesus says. Now, I don't want to say that the folk who fit those statistics are not Christians. I just want to suggest they're not Christian enough. I don't want to say that they're not Jesus followers. I just want to say that there's some room, more room left for them to allow Jesus' authority to take charge of their hearts. I think about my aunt Vera in this moment many, many years ago. A lady helped to raise me. And her beloved granddaughter uh, revealed that she was gay and that she was in a same-sex relationship. And back in that day, that was uh, in a small town. That was just really unheard of. Uh, my Aunt Vera called me. I was preaching by that time and pastoring. And I was out of state, and she called me. She shared with me the story and what was happening and the discovery and all that. And so I said to her, I said, well, so what are you going to do? She said, I'm going to love them. She said, I'm going to treat them just like I treat everybody. She said, now, I got some boundaries, right? That in my house, some things that they can do and some things they cannot do. And I, I want them to expect, respect my boundaries. But apart from that, I'm going to love them. I'm going to feed them. I'm going to treat them just like everybody else. She said, Is that, what's your right? I said, that's right. I said, you, you go, you're going to respond to them like Jesus. Come on now. Uh, Jesus has uh, 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 some boundaries as well. Come on now. For all of us. But at the end of the day, he's got an unconditional, fully informed love. There's a woman who allowed Jesus to take full charge of her heart. You know, often we talk these days about tolerate. Tolerate. You know, the, the, the essential basic root of the word tolerate means to endure, to put up with. Uh, we pastors have been teasing over the last few weeks uh, Rick, uh, who's been teaching this message because here's the deal. When I got ready to marry Rhonda and I stood up to take the vows, when, says, when I got to that point, was, you know, I, I promised to love and to cherish. The vows did not say I promised to endure and put up with it. <laughs> Did it say that? No. <laughs> it said, I promise to love, and love is far greater than endure and put up with. As a matter of fact, it, it, Jesus said, love your enemies. Jesus did not say, tolerate your enemies or put up with them. No. He said, love them. So at the end of the day, it is Jesus' narrow teaching about this remarkable way to love that creates a wide welcome. Just look at the verbs that you find in Luke chapter 6. Uh, uh, just go all the way down towards the end. Look at these. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Be compassionate. This is the narrow way, guys. Come on. This is the hard stuff. Pray for them. Give Show mercy, forgive. Ah, this is the, the rest of the world is canceling people and cutting people out of their Facebook and saying, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. You can't be a part of my life. I don't like how you vote. I don't like your philosophical perspective. Come on, because we disagree on these issues. We can't have a relationship over here, but not Jesus followers. This is part of why we are engaged in our Be Rich effort, because Jesus calls us, come on now, to do good. To give, come on now, to be generous, look at it, to be compassionate, to be generous, to pray, to show mercy. And so we're going to be working in four different, very difficult parts of the Bay Area. 
What are we going to be doing? We're going to be being compassionate, building homes for family, uh, single moms and their kids trying to get out of domestic violence. We're going to be in the tenderloin. Come on, helping the people who are trying to reboot their lives, being compassionate, showing mercy. We're going to show up at a school that is, has high innovation but low resources, and we're going to help do with that school what they cannot do for themselves. We're going to be generous. We say, everybody, we invite you to give $40, but you know what? Essentially, we ask you to make a stretch, a sacrificial give. And every year we have people who write checks for $10,000, $15,000, $25,000. And then we have other people who write checks for, for $25. That's the best they can do. And the $25 check is as important as the one who writes the $15,000 check. But, but I'm asking all of us to move, to lean in and be generous because when we give and serve, we shine a light that Jesus is real and we are practicing being the people he calls us to be. Wow. And here's the last piece. The promise of Jesus. We can ask this question. Is Christianity too narrow? This wide, well, narrow teaching, wide welcome. Here's the promise that's for everybody. Listen to what Jesus says in chapter 7. For everyone who asks. Can you say everyone? Everyone who asks receives. Say everyone. Everyone who seeks, finds. Say everyone. And to everyone who knocks at the door, the door will be open for you. So we end where we started. It begins and ends with Jesus. Jesus alone. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to me, comes to the Father except through me. Let me close with this letter. Uh, Pastor Renee has a member by the name of Charles Geralds. Uh, they are part of the same midweek small group. And some time ago, Charles wrote Pastor Renee at Twin Lakes a personal letter about what it meant to believe, to understand, to discover that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. Here's what Charles wrote. I spent years trying to fix myself with things outside of me. Everything from alcohol to heroin and most of what was in between. Drugs didn't work. Fast cars, promotions, new girlfriends, dozens of other things provided little bumps of counterfeit happiness, but they didn't give me what I was really looking for. I constantly wanted more. There was never enough of anything. He was trying the wide way, you see, the wide way of drugs and women and fast cars and promotions. Can you say the wide way? He goes on to write, the problem was inside of me. Outside solutions were never going to work. It wasn't until I invited Jesus to be inside of me, into the very innermost part of me, that I found peace. Once I let God, God's love in, I could start loving myself and begin loving others. He goes on to write, the big unexpected surprise, instead of taking from the world, I now want to give to make a difference in the world. And he says, thank you, God. 
Thank you for never giving up on me and for loving me when I was incapable of loving myself. The end. This is a brother who says, you know what? I discovered what it meant to encounter Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. And I offer that one to you. Amen and amen.